Hello there and welcome back to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast with your hosts Laz and Felipe. We're both sweating here today, aren't we bro? <laughs> Man, it's so hot here in London. Oh, everywhere. How, how is it in the country? Yeah, it's, it's everywhere, about 28 degrees Celsius for our, for our foreign listeners. Um, it's, it's sweltering, isn't it? You know, And uh, for, the, for the sake of good sound quality, we've, we haven't got any fans going. So if, you, if you're watching on YouTube and you see us wipe our heads, um, that, that's why. You know, it's, But it's been lovely weather, isn't it? I mean, the sun's been shining. It must be beautiful in Soho, right? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I walked to Hyde Park the other day. I spent most of the day in the park. So every, every time I, I need to do some work, uh, that you know doesn't require me being behind the drum kit. I'll do it from the park now. Beautiful, it's like lovely weather. Yeah, excellent. And uh, yeah, so right. so we're gonna crack on. And today we're doing things a little differently. Um, we came prepared to do an album, but one of the songs on this album, you, you know, what? I build it up like like they don't know, like, like I'm building the tension of what we're going to do, but they can see what we're going to do. So I'm going to tell them exactly. we're doing American Pie by Don McLean, and we prepared to do this album and we were listening to the whole album making our notes doing our research and then an hour before we came on i said to felipe i said bro american pie as a song is just too good it's too long the lyrics are too deep for us to just spend like 20 minutes of a one hour episode on should we do one episode just about the song american pie and then we'll do the rest of the album two weeks later and we agreed that we said that was what we're going to do because it's such a good song so that's going to be the structure for today um we're going to talk about the song american pie from the album american pie and then the rest of the album will be done on next step on the next episode so just some album information before we get stuck into the song um the name of the album is american pie by artist don mclean released on october 24th 1971 and recorded between May and June 1971 uh, in the Record Plant Studios, New York City, clocking in at 36 and a half minutes, it is a folk rock slash folk album produced by Ed Freeman. Yeah, I think it's the um, uh, um, is it the first folk album we were reviewing? Is that it? Because I don't remember I doing anything be, yeah. as folk as this one. No, you know? we haven't done any Bob Dylan. No. We haven't done, I mean, I think, you know, Yes had a bit of folk in one of their albums. Genesis did as well, didn't they? But they're not yeah. folk. <laughs> no, they prog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's the first, pretty much is the first uh, uh, folk or proper folk album we 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 covering. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it came out in a, in a, in a, in a time that like loads of bands were doing amazing albums, you know, like, and, and that transition from the sixties to the seventies, I mean, so much great music yeah. uh, uh, being produced at the time. And this one reached number one on billboard yeah. and uh, which it's a hell of an achievement for the time it was produced by Ed Freeman. I think you've mentioned and, well, the, and, think- and yeah. I was just going to say that the thing that was going on a lot this time is especially going from the end of the 60s into the 70s is you had a lot of solo musicians coming through, especially that singer-songwriter type. You know, the Beatles had broken up. John Lennon was doing his, well, all of them were doing their own thing. Um, and you had solo singer-songwriters like James Taylor, Carole King, Neil Young in America. And you had Cat Stevens and Elton John doing their thing in the UK. So the rise of this kind of folky, acoustic singer-songwriter thing was happening. And at the same time, Don McLean was doing his thing yeah and i think there's there's um there's an element that separate this song from the rest of the album um i agree. I, I was listening i was listening to uh, um to, to the whole album and always going back to this song and keep digging deeper into the songs like yeah. 
it's endless. The it's more it. you read about it, the, the more you find this this <laughs> one line about something you, you you would never imagine. But um, it's almost like an entity in itself, isn't it? The song is almost like an entity in its in itself. It is. It is. It's completely separate from the album, although it it sets the tone for for the, for the album. Yeah. He wanted to do something like Seven Peppers. He mentioned that, so he, he wanted did. to do something. Yeah. Uh, like a concept album, he wanted to capture the whole uh, feeling uh, and the whole uh, um, concept, I don't know, the yeah. concept of that that time and or about ten years in American history from 1959 to 1970. That's so right, he's yeah. capturing the uh, uh, the atmosphere of that time and trying to turn into a whole album, maybe, but mostly the song. But what makes the song different for me is. Is the one song in the album that that relies on the band, uh, uh, like relies heavily on 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 the performance of of the other yeah, musicians, not only him. To keep it going, to keep, it's a long song. You well, keep it going. Yeah, it you is a long song. To keep the audience interested. Yeah, but apart of, if you notice for the rest of the album, apart from um, the odd like piano and 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 strings arrangement, it could have been performed by just his voice and his guitar and nothing yeah. else. But this song, no, this song really relies on, on all the musical elements in it. It does. And, and do you know the funny thing is that it was the last song written for the album. Um, he had it, all the others written. Um, and he just, he said he was sitting in his in his boathouse on the Hudson Lake, surrounded by artists and poets and musicians. And he just wanted to write a song, a big song about America. Um, and one thing I think is hugely impressive in the song is the piano. Yeah. I love the piano part because you've just got, it's kind of like a mix of everything, isn't it? It's like gospel-y, it's like honky-tonk, it's like Americana, it's kind of R&B. And the gentleman, what's he called? Paul Griffin, Paul Griffin, who played the piano on, on this track. Um, and it carries the song, doesn't it? Just gives it that up. It does. Vibe. Even though the song isn't necessarily up, upbeat itself, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a wholly positive song. Well, actually no, 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 it, it, is, it isn't. But that's how I find the arrangements uh, um, interesting. That's why I like it. Because the first time the chorus comes in, right at the beginning, it's sad. Yeah. It's really sad. Mm. But when they speed it up and play the acoustic, when the guitar, when the acoustic guitar is being uh, played like very rhythmically uh, uh, from, from the, the second time you can hear the chorus. So... From that part onwards, the, the chorus doesn't sound as sad anymore, in my opinion. No, it doesn't it's weird. Right. They turn yeah. this kind of sad melody into an uplifting vibe by just changing the tempo and the instrument. So that's well, what I like about the song. There's loads of uh, of uh, tempo changes and arrangement changes, changes and instruments taking the lead. Mm -hmm. So the first time, the piano is the boss, right? It's yeah. piano and vocals. And then and then when the acoustic guitar... Uh, enters the song it's like the piano gets out of the way it's yeah. still there but it's like okay let the guitar shine now it's tasteful and later pain, on yeah and later on the song the bass the bass line gets busier yes it so i so love that the fact like it, it it feels like every instrument had their their specific time in the song to take yeah. the lead and to enhance a certain uh, element of the arrangement yeah that's a great point um there's I was going to say, what did you say about the... Oh, yeah, there's a song by Bob Dylan, which really reminded me, um, which is called Hurricane. And it has the same kind of thing. It's a long song. It's about eight and a half minutes. And the vibe is very similar to this, very upbeat, very... Um, 
agreeable, very happy, but actually the lyrics play much more of an important part because it's about the story of a man who was wrongly accused of something and went to jail or something. And we know Dylan is a lyricist uh, and a poet ahead of sort of like a singer, if yeah. we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, it, it's a long song. It's eight and a half minutes long. And if you look at other singles that came out that are really long in the 60s, although this was 1971, you got Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. You got Hey Jude by the Beatles. So very unusual to have a song of this length be the lead single. But I was watching a, a classic albums episode where they did this album and they said that without a doubt, all of them said, this is the single. Interesting. Yeah, they didn't choose anything else. And I have the feeling they worked hard on this song. Do you know, a fun fact about it is they rehearsed the song for two weeks. Really? Yeah, so they booked the rehearsal studio and rehearsed just the song for two weeks to make sure the well, band would nail the arrangement. And it's it's played live. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. It is. That's what you rehearsed two weeks for, isn't it? Just exactly. So they wanted um, to nail the song. Interesting yeah. stuff. As we spoke, uh, as as we said, um, we're doing the whole. We're just focusing on this song today because I am actually. Do you know what? I've got a uh, a Las Unleashed. Oh, already. And a Las Unleashed for the for listeners who have listened to the past fifty episodes, they normally associate Las Unleashed with a negative thing, but Las Unleashed could still be positive. <laughs> and this is a positive Las Unleashed. American Pie might be one of the greatest songs ever written. That's a powerful statement, but I, I agree. I'll die on that hill. What it does, as we're going to go through now, um, we're going to go through the lyrics because as a huge fan of the song, I have loved this song for decades. I remember hearing it and my friends singing the chorus in a car. We weren't American. We didn't love Don McLean. It's just such a catchy chorus. They heard it somewhere <laughs> and they were singing it in the car. And I was like, "That's it. I want to know what that song is. And so I went and listened. And ever since I was like six or seven years old, that song's been in my head. And it's one of those songs that I will listen to anytime, anywhere. I am a heavy metal fan, but some days I don't want to sit and listen to a Metallica instrumental as much as I love it on other days. Uh, you know, I also love classical music, but there's some days I don't want to sit and listen to my favorite piece. This is a song, and there's a there's a very few of them. There's maybe five to ten songs in my life where uh, in in my you know in my in my list where I will listen to it anytime, anywhere, any place for the whole song, and this is one of them. And something that I've always been fascinated by is the lyrics and what they meant, because there's so many metaphors, there's so many references, there's so many analogies. And when I finally put this album on the list, and I finally got to the researching and found out what it meant, I just thought, man, this is too good. And this is why I said to Felipe, I was like, bro, we got to do a whole episode. We can't just spend 10 minutes on this and sort of move on to the next song. Um, so we're going to go lyric uh, sort of, yeah, verse by verse and talk about different interpretations of what these are meant because it is important, isn't it? It is a journey through America. The whole idea of the song is the day the music died, Buddy Holly's death, February 3rd, I think. I've got it here. February, yep, February 3rd, 1959. Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Richardson, also known as Big Bopper, died in a plane crash whilst they were on tour. And that is the day that Don McLean is referring to as the music dying. But it was not, this song is not just about the death of Buddy Holly. It is looking back over the 10 years that followed and seeing the decline of American ideals um, of love and peace and war coming in various forms throughout government, throughout uh, American citizens. And that's why it's such a fantastic song, isn't it? 
is and interesting that he he starts specifically in 1959 and he named that day as the day the music died. Yes. So imagine when you love someone, you love a songwriter so much that you believe that person's part of your life and they are actually the uh, uh, um uh this they actually represent what music is for yeah. you. So if that if that songwriter dies, that's the end of music for you. That's how he felt. I think he was 13 years old and he was a paper boy. So he was delivering newspapers around town. And when he got you know, the, the newspapers for the day and he saw the headlines and he was like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, crushed by the the the, the terrible news of uh, Buddy Holler's death. And I think so, we, can all, we can all have, we all have a musician in our lives that we can look up to like that, can't we? I know. Yeah, exactly. What, um, I, what I noticed in some, some of uh, Don McLean in interviews is like, he's talking a lot about the fact that the, the, the relationship people have with music and, and, and musicians and songwriters changed to the point that, according to him, in the past, people were just like, yeah, you know, I like listening to this music, but I don't even care who who yeah. is the writer. And if the writer dies, no one no one would notice, uh, to the point that, according to him, it became a religion. So music and rock music in special became uh, like a religion for, for American people yeah. specifically. And and those rock stars would be like not only celebrities, but but like... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. gods for people. Yeah. So people would follow everything they do. And uh, maybe ha- maybe that has lost a bit of that impact nowadays, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, with so much music. Even, even, yeah. it's, not, it's not that cool to, to put those people in, 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 in an impossible position to be, uh, um, you know, uh, I don't know, to be the most important thing of your life or something like that. Yeah. But, okay. but, it, but it's interesting, like, he, he, he picks that one moment you know, my favorite songwriter died. So that's the beginning of that story. What happened in the 10 years after that? Mm. Uh, it's interesting to notice that in 1950, or oh, the, the whole, actually the whole decade in 1950s were uh, uh, a, a moment of like uh, economic prosperity for America, you know, yeah. after the war. Yeah. So America was doing a lot better than Europe and, and most places in the world. And everyone had money to spare. Everyone was buying cars and having a good time. So the, the rock and roll music at the time was about that. And Buddy Holly symbolized that, uh, you know, amongst other, other icons like yeah. Elvis and, and, you know, and even, even Bob Dylan, I would say. But uh, yeah, so, so when he died, that was, that was huge for, for loads of people, but specifically uh, for Don McLean, because he was... Well, was uh, but Buddy Holly gets the, gets the, I say the fame, um, the attention in this thing, but you, Richie Valens was a was a oh, he was great. guitarist, yeah. wasn't he? And yes. Big Bopper as well. I mean, I don't actually know any of his music. I'll find some to put in the playlist. Just to note for the playlist, guys, what we'll do is we'll do one big playlist for both of these episodes because we're only doing American Pie today. There'll be some songs in the lyrical breakdown that will also be in the playlist. So we'll put American Pie, the song in, any songs that we mention in this episode, then the rest of the album for next week's episode, and then any other subsequent songs afterwards. Um, but yeah, it, a trio of musicians, very famous at the time, very, very accomplished in their field, dying instantaneously in a plane crash. Disaster. Yeah, it's, it's it's shocking, isn't it? It's one of those things, and and that kind of tragedy happens all the time in music. Yeah, and. Um, one thing he says about the album uh, or about the song specifically is, uh, I'm going to quote exactly what he said. American Pie 
is about loss in a whole lot of different ways. Yeah. Because the problem with his music is people would interpret in 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 a million different ways. And apparently back in the day, um McLean wasn't wasn't keen to deliver the uh, the, the message in a in a in a like a direct way. He wanted people to yeah. interpret the songs well, in any way they wanted. He still doesn't. Yeah. He's still never yeah. come out and said, yes, I meant that the jester is this person. He's never come out and given explanations. He still remained very cryptic and very sort of like, you know, mysterious about who is what and what the lyrics mean. And I love that, isn't it? And yeah, and it's amazing because it's so open to interpretation. At the same time, he knew exactly what he was doing and um, yeah. and the lyrics have a meaning for him that probably no one else can understand. I, uh, I agreed. I, I imagine like 100%. I imagine that there is one lyric that he's written that he goes, well, this guy wrote that about it. This guy wrote that about it. This guy wrote that about it. None of them are right. I bet there's one <laughs> lyric. You know what I mean, but, um, anyway, do you want to talk about anything else before we crack on with the lyric thing? Yeah. I just, I just want to mention this, uh, 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 the element of loss and pain that he mentions in the song. Yeah. I think uh, just going more into a, a philosophical <laughs> interpretation of this is the beauty of writing songs with, a story that no one is going to understand is that the feeling generated by that story can resonate with anyone. Yeah. That is that is the, the, the beauty of it, of it. If you're telling a story about uh, someone that you that you lost, but obviously the person listening to the song doesn't know who you're talking about, but they can relate to the feeling of loss. And if mm. you're talking about love, you might be talking about one specific woman, but the person listening to it might be thinking about their wives or husbands or girlfriends or boyfriends yeah. or, or someone they just fell in love with. So it's a different kind of love, but it's still, uh, it's it can still be named in the same way. It's yeah. still love. So That's... love, pain, anger. Some people can write very generic songs about it. And some people can write deeply about those, those mm. uh, themes. And I think he was great at that. Well, that's going to come up next week, actually, when we do one of the songs, because one of the songs on the, on the rest of the album had a deep, profound impact on a singer-songwriter, who, and then that song went um, went on to become famous through another group. But we'll get there. Um, we'll get there next week, um, bro. Anything else? Yeah. Um, okay. So one one more quote from him. Of course. Pain is a very important part of art. So that's wow. it. Pain is the is actually the the first motivation behind the song, isn't it? And he started uh, writing the song with a tape recorder, as he usually did at yep. the time. And he said, like, I think a couple of verses came straight away. Uh, he said, just like the genie came out of the bottle, like like that. <laughs> so, okay, go on. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, listen, I'm going to be the one talking most because I'm reading the lyrics and I've got written down what a lot of, what a consensus of the lyrics mean, but, Bro, by all means, jump in. Tell me your thoughts if you thought it meant something different. So I just want to credit the people who have who have read it this for because it's a lot of work that they've done. I mean, what we'll do is we'll also put the links in the show notes of um, the articles we've read because it is incredible. Um, these interpretations are a mix of by Bob Dearborn, Jim Fan, and Liam Flynn. So thank thank you to those three for providing this. So we start the verse off uh, in the 1970s with him looking back at the end of the 1950s. He said, a long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. 
And I knew if I had my chance that I could make the people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. So this is the nostalgia, isn't it? This is the nostalgia of him looking back at simpler times when he was a teenager, when the music was simple. And America, as you said, was prospering. You had simple music like Buddy Holly, just making everyone happy, talking about romance, dancing, buying a new car, you know, all that stuff. Um, and it, yeah, just a time of happiness. But February made me shiver with every paper I'd deliver. Bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't take one more step. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride, but something touched me deep inside the day the music died. Now, we know, as you said, February made me shiver. That was the February 3rd is the day that Buddy Holly died. And we know that he left behind a wife. So this is kind of almost sort of saying, yes, this is Buddy Holly. Now we get into the chorus, which is obviously the most repeated one. And it's the most American chorus of them all, isn't it? <laughs> um, so bye bye, Miss American Pie. American Pie, you, you might think it was a metaphor or maybe a movie or something like that. But it's talking about American pies because <laughs> pies are synonymous with America, aren't they? Yeah. Exactly. Like uh, just, I, I think there's an expression as American as an apple pie. Exactly. So. That's exactly it. And so although the words American pie will take on a different form throughout the, you know, in, in the verses, um, the, it, it, I think it is almost literally American pie. Uh, drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Now, this comes from an advert from Chevrolet, the, an American car company. And they had their own song that went with the advert. And it said, um, taking, I, I'm making this up, but it's something along the lines of, you know, going to drive off in my Chevy, then another line, uh, taking, taking it on down to the levee, something like that. So that, that was taken from an advert. Um, and then you've got the end of the chorus, which is them good old boys drinking whiskey and rising. And this will be the day that I die. The interesting thing here is that there is a Buddy Holly song called That'll Be The Day where Buddy Holly thinks of dying after his girlfriend leaves him. And he says, because that'll be the day that I die. And oh, wow. in this chorus, you have the narrator's love, not a romantic love, but a love for this gentleman's music dying. So this will be the day that Don McLean dies because his Buddy Holly died. Just, I mean, we're, we're just in the chorus. This is so emotional, isn't it? It's like, <laughs> right to the beginning. And, and the first time, as I said before, the first time the chorus uh, comes up, it's just really slow yeah. and, and probably intentionally depressing. So it's really sad when it comes for the first time. It's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite a pleasant experience to listen to that chorus for the first time. It just really makes you sad. And I think uh, the first verse and, and, the, and the chorus, the, the, they are probably the most, um, I don't know, they're the easiest parts to interpret in the song because the message is more yeah. clear. So I don't think important. there's any, yeah, I don't think there's any anything uh, uh, um, that hasn't been cryptic. said about, yeah, yeah or anything cryptic, cryptic, exactly. cryptic about the, those two parts, of course, because he mentioned, uh, he, he dedicated the album to Buddy Holly, so that's a fact. He's He was a paper boy, so that's he's talking specifically about that time when he was delivering the newspapers and saw the news. So exactly. that's not, uh, uh, yeah, there's not much interpretation to those verses yet. And Perfect. I think it gets deeper after that. So verse two, did you write the book of love? Do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so, do you believe in rock and roll? Can music save your mortal soul? Can you teach me how to dance real slow? Um, the book of love, that's a reference to 1957 with a band called the Monotones who wrote the song Book yeah. of Love. Um, well, I know that you're in love with him because I saw you dancing in the gym. You both kicked off your shoes. Then I dig those rhythm and blues. This is about naivety as a teenager, 
finding love, finding romance. Um, he tries romancing a girl at a high school dance in the gym, but she chooses another man. Um, I was a lonely teenage Bronkin buck with a pink carnation and a pickup truck. Now that's funny because there's a Marty Robbins song called uh, a white sport coat where he said he talks about being left at a high school dance wearing a white coat and a pink carnation, which is a flower. And so <laughs> Don McLean has literally sort of copied that lyric because he's been left. He's just, we're in verse two and he's already taking the best aspects of American culture from the fifties, Buddy Holly, the monotones and a Marty Robbins song. Just brilliant. Um, and a dr- driving a pickup truck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. when you see that, you think America, don't you? <laughs> That's a Chevy. <laughs> a Chevy, exactly, yeah. Um, so, but I knew I was out of luck the day the music died. Um, and this is literally, I started singing Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Well, this is a proverbial Miss American Pie. This yeah. is his Miss American Pie. Um, and although, you know, he is saying to the he's saying goodbye to the innocence and the naivety and the lost faith of passing values in America as a metaphor for this lady. Um, in verses th- uh, three, we've got now for 10 years, we've been on our own and moss grows fat on a rolling stone. But that's not how it used to be. When the jester sang for the king and queen in a coat he borrowed from James Dean and a voice that came from you and me. Now, this is interesting. The jester is Bob Dylan, uh, who is widely considered to be Bob Dylan, because there is a photo of Bob Dylan wearing James Dean's famous coat. So that's kind (laughs) of a bit inarguable. Um, And the 10 years we've been on our own is from 59 to 70 yeah roughly, that's it yeah you know? so that's exactly the, the the time frame we're talking about and the other evidence that it's bob dylan is that a voice that came from you and me well that could mean two things it could mean one that bob dylan was a, vo- a voice of the people instig- yeah. instigating political change and also it could be that bob dylan doesn't have a great voice you know, yeah. you couldn't call Freddie Mercury a voice that came from you and me, could you? <laughs> because exactly. Yeah. <laughs> with well, Bob yeah. Dylan, but with Bob Dylan, it, it, I could sing Bob Dylan songs, maybe as good as him. You know, no slight on Dylan, but we know he's not the best. Um, then the next part. Oh, and while the king was looking down, the jester stole his thorny crown. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mention the king and queen. The king is Elvis Presley. I thought and so. The queen, <laughs> supposedly. There's a bit of debate. Some people think it's Aretha Franklin. Someone thinks it's a lady. Oh, damn, I forgot her name. I think she's called Connie Frank, who were like the R&B singers of that time. And the interesting part about this uh, is from the next lyric. While the king was looking down, the jester stole his thorny crown. The courtroom was adjourned. No No verdict was returned. There's a kind of metaphor here because the jester, Bob Dylan, is challenging the king, Elvis, um, to take over music. Now, not a literal challenge, but the rise of Bob Dylan's political music started declining Elvis Presley's music about love and dancing. And Yeah, Elvis' they, music was more naive and more like exactly. uh, uplifting and, and a bit silly in a good way. Absolutely. Dylan was trying to make people think and question uh, uh, politics and, and, and yeah. social uh, issues and stuff like that. So, so that's... So, that's the literal musical metaphor. Um, that's the literal musical um, thing you can take from these lyrics. But as a metaphor, as well as the, the music changing, you've got America changing, the culture and revolution changing as well. You've got the, the you've got young people starting to rise up the same way Dylan was, and the old traditions of America starting to bow down under the pressures of revolution and social reform. Um, no verdict was returned. We know that not everyone was on board with the political changes in America. Yeah. 
Exactly. So the jury was adjourned, no verdict was returned. Because, you know, I've been watching um, a documentary on the Vietnam War, which has been fascinating, and you see how there was such a divide. Some people who were like, and they happened to be mostly young people who were sat there saying no to the Vietnam War. And you've got a lot of old traditional Americans who said, well, we got to do what's right for, for the world. we got to help the world. And so you've got this battle. And I'm liking this battle and this metaphor in these lyrics. Dylan, yeah, I've seen, I've seen an interview old. with with uh, McLean that he, he actually talks a lot about his love for America and the fact that America is not perfect, and there's a lot of debate. And he he literally says there's a lot of insanity, and and it's messy and it's not organized and you know it's yeah it's not perfect. But you know they they've done great things. They've done awful things. Yeah. So I think I think he he's one of those guys who doesn't have a um, limited uh, a, a, a narrow kind of view on what America is. He's like Absolutely. this is my country I love my country but there's elements of it that I dislike and I'm going to yeah. talk about the good and the bad things in one song. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Um so moving on to uh well I call it verse 4 but it's kind of like the end of it. While Lenin read a book of Marx the quartet practiced in the park. Now, this is funny because obviously you've got Lenin and Marx. Um, do you want to just talk about them quickly as political figures? Who were they? Well, no, yeah, he's actually talking about Lenin. Well, that's yeah, no, that's Lenin. what I was saying about is, yeah, is not Lenin. You, yeah, you have got the you have got the play on words. It could be interpreted yeah, as Lenin because I've seen yeah. some lyrics that say Lenin and some lyrics that say Lenin. Mo- yeah, most yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen it as well. I noticed that's one thing I want to talk about because th- there is a. a, a yeah, it's it's hard to get that from you know yeah. from the song, isn't it? Well, Could it be both. Go and talk uh, about. It. Let, let me just finish what I was going to say, yeah, which yeah. is if it's John Lennon, um, while Lennon read a book of Marx, the quartet practiced in the park. That is a reference That's to the, the Beatles. Beatles rising up. <laughs> so you've got Elvis and Aretha. If it's Aretha, had their time in the fifties. Now kind of bowing down to the new acts like Dylan and the Beatles. Go ahead, bro. You said you wanted to talk about Lennon. No, yeah, yeah. Obviously, like uh, uh, the interesting thing about. Lennon being the, the 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 brain of the Beatles, he was the guy interested in bringing uh, um, culture and philosophy, politics into into the lyrics and the other stuff. Uh, uh, so he was uh, uh, not the only guy responsible for it, but he was uh, uh, responsible for changing the direction of the Beatles in that sense. And his solo career is very political as well. And uh, and he there's always questioning politics and religion, which which is interesting and, and and beliefs in general. And obviously he was always reading and try to you know learn from uh, from from books and gurus and everything. So yeah, so he's reading a book on Marx, and and the band is practicing the park. For me, it, it, so that's my interpretation, right? It's like John Lennon himself, if it's him in, in the lyrics. Yeah. He is uh, uh, isolated from his bandmates. You know, although yeah. to be a quartet, they need him. But yeah. it's like they are in the park, and he's reading. He's the brain. They are the band behind. So, that so band. in two lyrics, he's made a philosophical, deep statement about the Beatles. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it, isn't it? And, and when you're talking about uh, um, the changes in American culture, like like well, the Beatles. Uh, they they went from being a band to being four uh, independent artists, like yeah. four solo acts yeah. that that came out of one band. So that was one big change uh, in the seventies, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. worldwide, yeah. yeah. Um, then the the final two lines of that uh, were, "And we sang dirges in the dark the day the music died." Now. 
dirges are, I believe, songs that are of a minor and sad element. And so some people think this reflects uh, JFK's assassination in 1964. So people singing dirges for J- to mourn, you know, John F. Kennedy. Um, I, sh- I should have mentioned as well, that whole verse is supposedly spanning 1963 to 1966, just for note. Now, verse five spans 1966 to 1969. Um, Helter skelter in the summer swelter, the birds flew off with a fallout shelter, eight miles high and falling fast. few things to pick out here. Helter skelter, a Beatles song, um, taking over as the birds. Again, I've seen some lyric with birds as in flying birds and other lyrics as the birds the band the band the birds. so again the birds the band declining the beatles with helter skelter ascending this the birds have a song called eight miles high but the lyric says eight miles high and falling fast for those watching on youtube i'm saying i'm, I'm putting my hand up eight miles high and falling to the ground well what else was falling in the mid 60s napalm bombs on vietnam oh wow yeah. Yes, that, that's, a, that's a common interpretation. Um, it landed foul on the grass. The players tried for a forward pass with the jester on the sidelines in a cast. Um, now, that's the, the football field is a cool metaphor because it's representative of a battlefield, literally and metaphorically, because you've got, you know, on a football field, you've got two teams playing each other. And in this scenario, you've got protesters versus the government. You've got USA versus Vietnam. You've got Beatles versus Bob Dylan, you know, for a rise of who's going to be the next big star. Because in this time, in the mid-60s, is when radical the radical 60s really began, where you have ca- counterculture beginning and ensuing. The protests, you've got Black Panthers, you've got the Weatherman, you've got anti-Vietnam. You know, all of these movements and political groups rising up. Do you want to talk about that for a bit? Well, I think that, that that's a reflection of what he said in the interview I mentioned, that America is not, uh, it, it's a place of debate. And, you know, uh, it, and every time something uh, uh, becomes the establishment, some uh, people are going to go against it. Yeah. And then there's going to be people defending what the establishment is and people complaining about what it is yeah. and i think uh and the fact that it's as it says messy and disorganized uh it's it's yeah it's there i think this this is the hardest verse in the song for me to actually understand line by line mm. and, uh, and, and 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 the sports and the sports metaphor is kind of great because it's like uh it's one game and you have two clear sides and they they have the same objective they want they want to win and it's usually not easy so I think yeah. that re- that was a really, really good metaphor for debate in general because yeah. everyone thinks their idea is the best. Yeah, exactly. uh, but it's not that easy to win. It's not that easy yeah. to convince you know the millions of people on the other side that your idea is the best one. Exactly. And further evidence that the jester is Bob Dylan is uh, with the jester on the sidelines in a cast or cast. Um, and that's because Bob Dylan had a motorcycle accident in <laughs> uh, the mid '60s, and this is supposedly a reference to that. that. Now the halftime air was sweet perfume while the sergeants played a marching tune. We all got up to dance, but we never got the chance. Now, the summer of love is exactly halfway through the radical 60s. And some people think the sweet perfume is the smell of marijuana coming at halftime. <laughs> so halfway through the radical 60s uh, was the summer of love with lots of marijuana whilst the sergeants played a marching tune. Um, hold on, let me see the lyrics. Yeah, so the Sergeants is also a reference to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. 
look at that. Which came out in 1967. <laughs> um, whilst the sergeants played the marching tune. There's another sort of interpretation that the sergeants are the authoritative figures, you know, the armies trying to repress protesters and stuff like that. But I like that this is the summer of love because it all adds up. 1967, radical 60s, marijuana, Sergeant Pepper, you know, it all kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um because the players tried to take the field, the marching band refused to yield. Now, this we can interpret the players as being the protesters, but the marching band being the authorities refusing to yeah, yield. Yeah, that's a very military thing, isn't it? Yes, and we know that in the protests, especially with Vietnam, there was a lot of casualties with protests. They killed several students, didn't they? The American yeah. military. Um, I don't want to get it wrong. It was literally in the last episode of the Vietnam thing I watched. But yeah, protests got nasty, be it about Vietnam or other social reform, racism, you know, against police off, um, re- police officer racism um, and stuff like that. Lots of protests and a lot of change of culture and counterculture happening in the 60s. Um, lots of protests, lots of riots. And in several of those occasions, the authorities took a very aggressive stance leading to deaths of protesters. Yeah, and I think that, that the way it relates to um to to sports like like he's doing is like uh you want to score a goal, you know, so you you need to be strong and then the other side there's got is there's gonna be a, a fight for that. So that's what it is. So you want to change something, you want to achieve something, uh, especially in a place like America. So that's gonna require a lot of effort. And unfortunately, sometimes it turns to violence. And I think mm. it's very clear in the lyrics here. Although there's loads of nuances in that verse, it's very clear that, that he's talking about actual violence. Yeah, especially with a marching band like a military, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Then the final lines of this verse, do you recall what was revealed the day the music died? Now this, according to all three of these sources I've read, is the most debated lyric because people really don't know what it means. But the one that I liked the most was that he literally, because he, he's a bit tongue-in-cheek in places, although this is a serious song about some serious events, there is elements of humour here and there. And I like, that in 1968, the Miss America pageant was protested by feminists who didn't want, oh. you know, girl women to be sex objects and just there for men to right. look at and vote on who was the prettiest. So right. they threw things like eyelashes, hair curlers, makeup, wigs into a big bonfire, and they all took their bras off as well. So, All do right. you know what was revealed when they take their bras off? <laughs> or what's revealed the day the music died? And the, the good thing about this is, again, it's another, it's another, um, another hint back to the old America dying. Now, whether this is a good thing or not, whether you agree with it or not, old America loved pageants. Lo- they loved Miss America. They loved these kind of things. Well, now it's dying again. We're losing, yeah. or Don McLean is feeling the sense of loss from old. Do you know, do you know what I think? Like, what I perceive from from those those two lines as well is like uh, when something big happens, like the day the music died. So he's specifically talking about the death of a famous artist. So that's the headlines. What else happened? Yeah. What else didn't you notice on that day? What important events were going on whilst you're looking at the headlines? It's brilliant. So well done. That's, man. That's, that's I think brilliant. that's yeah. one thing I got from from it, which I haven't found uh, in any other source. But so that's uh, Philippe's interpretation of that those lines. <laughs> that's and I don't care if I'm wrong because I don't care if I'm wrong because a songwriter allows me to think whatever I want. <laughs> Isn't this exactly it, man? Like literally, we're sat here, and all I'm doing, honestly, I told you, I've read three different articles on this, and I've taken the ones that I believe to that, that I like the most, and in in some places, some yeah. of the things you've heard are what I think. 
So in essence, you're getting a brand new article because I am taking some opinions from the others, but I'm also fashioning, you know, factoring in our own as well, which is just really cool because yeah. that's what music is, man. It's subjective, isn't it? It's like kind of do what it you is. want with it. You take the lyrics how you want, which is exactly what you said at the start because he's never offered an explanation. He's never yeah. said Dylan is the jester, Elvis is the king. He hints at it, but he never says it. It's just so good, man, this song. <laughs> um, and on to the penultimate verse. And I, I, I do know what this verse is about because I had no idea. Oh, I had no. I, this, this is the you one still I don't know. know. This, this, you this, still don't know. This is another one. Well, I got my my ideas of it, but I want to hear yours first. I want to hear. No, your, no. Let's do it the other way. I want to hear yours because because okay. I've got apparently what well, this is apparently the most definitive one. I think when it says. Uh, um, a generation lost in space with no time left to start again. I think lost in space has a lot to do with the moon landing. Okay. Might be wrong, uh, because literally lost in space. So yeah. they p- people are concerned about you know uh, um, technology and and conquering this space and all that stuff, but with no time left to start again. Uh, whenever there are changes in in society and you are at the end of that period. You might not be young enough to fight for the things you want. Yeah. Maybe you are at the end of a revolution, a cultural revolution, and things changed. And there will be more changes, but then you're not there anymore. You, you might not have the chance to live in the way you wanted to live or in the way you used to live when you were younger, uh, because the, the new revolution is going to take a bit too long to, to, to come again. So that's one interpretation, well, I think. But that's my absolutely- own. You're absolutely right with the second half of what you said. And I listen, I, I am not going to say you're wrong with the space thing, because as we just said, it is open to interpretation. You take from it whatever you want. But the general consensus about this verse, let me, I'm going to read the whole verse and then tell you the story, okay? Mm-hmm. There we were all in one place, a generation lost in space with no time left to start again. So come on, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack flash, sat on a candlestick, because fire is the devil's only friend. And as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. No angel born in hell could break that Satan's spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. So prepared. Does that have to do with the Rolling Stones concert where yes. the Hells Angels were doing security for them? Yes. So what yes. happened is this. In Altamont, which is a place in America, 300,000 people who were basically trying to regenerate the Woodstock feeling. The feeling of Woodstock in the 60s was it was one of unity. It was one of everyone here together for a, a single cause, single peace, happiness, you know, all that stuff. But by the time this concert came around, there were so many different movements, so many different political groups, so many different opinions that a whole generation had become lost in space because they agreed with this movement, but this movement was against this movement. But they also liked the ideas of that movement that, ah, everyone just gets lost because there's so much going on. The the simplicity of America had been lost at this point. It's not simple enough anymore as, as just being an American do you know what I mean? I find that I didn't say that really well. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think, I, I, and I think that uh, uh, it's when you said uh, the change from Elvis to Bob Dylan. That's what it is. Yeah, Bob Dylan is not as simple and and 
and objective in that way. Like it, it's it's pretty much what was happening. Like yeah. rock and roll was becoming the past already very quickly rock and roll took over and it was already in decline in a certain way or i wouldn't say decline because rock and roll is still around but it changed into something completely different it became political it became uh uh, you know well way of questioning and to further this jumping jack flash was a rolling stone song that took their music that was the start of their music that went more darker more nihilistic you know they had songs like sympathy for the devil gimme shelter about these real life issues um, I actually Jack- thought that the Satan in that part is because of the song "Sympathy for the, the Devil." Because I think we'll get to that, but it that. kind of is. Yeah, Jagger, according to McLean, again, these guys just—I don't think we've said it. These are all opinions. There is no fact about this. Okay, so just take this with a pinch yeah. of salt. But this is widely what these lyrics are considered to be. Jagger is a symbol of pushing unorthodox, un-American ideals of protest and rebellion onto the youth. So Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack flash on a uh, candlestick because fire is the devil's only friend. So what happened in this gig is that there was a black man who was a part of a movement, I believe, who pulled a gun out and the security at this gig was the biker gang Hell's Angels. And the Hell's Angels, what, oh, what kind of the guy's name? Kenny Cassano or something, he stabbed this gentleman um, who was who was carrying the gun. But there's arguments. There's so many back and forths that the Hell's Angel was the one who hit him first. The guy pulled the gun out first. No one really knows what happened. Um, it's, and the so one, it's one of those things no one will ever know. No, exactly. Exactly what happened because I don't think so there's much. footage of that. And there's four, there was four deaths, and I don't know where the other deaths came. I don't know if someone was shot or anything, but this was the main event where this violence um, erupted and... That apparently there's footage where you can see two people trying to get the Rolling Stones to stop and they didn't stop playing. Now there's arguments that they didn't know what was happening, but you've got two people at the front who were begging Jagger to stop and Jagger could have stopped the show and ended the violence because riots then ensued, but the Stones carried on playing. And Don McLean says, and I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched with fists of rage. No angel born in hell, hell's angels could break that spell. And as the flames climbed high into the night to light the sacrificial rite, well, you know, when you think of Aztec sacrificing, it's stabbing and the hell's angel stabbing the man. I saw Satan laughing with delight. Now, a lot of people think Jagger is the metaphorical Satan here because he's tearing down the final piece of America, of the America that Don McLean knew and loved, dividing people based on songs like Sympathy for the Devil, Gimme Shelter, Um, too many groups, too much division, too many movements, and America is now too divided. So they think that uh, I saw Satan laughing with delight because suppose, and he's not blaming Jagger for the demise of America, but he's saying this is like the final, the straw that broke the camel's back. Jagger is here doing things that many other people are doing, but this evidence of this gig, this divisiveness, potentially through lyrics in songs, has led to the death of people within their concert. So a very dark verse compared to the rest of yeah, them. Yeah, very, very dark. Yeah. And, and and it's uh, uh, and it kind of reflects a time when no one knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. To be fair to everyone there, like mm. uh, this cultural revolution, rock and roll becoming heavier and more political, and uh, people clashing over their ideas. Who knows what actually happened on that day? But definitely. Uh, uh, 
no one wants to see that that level of violence. Right. And uh, of course, and it's it's weird. Like, what do you do in that situation? Do you carry on playing? Do you end the gig? Do you, like do you say something on the microphone? Yeah, you know, it's 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 really yeah, it, it's it's a really dark uh, uh, part of the song, and it, especially if it, that's it's, yeah, yeah. And Especially I mean, yeah. before, before. if you see the footage of that show, like it's crowded and messy and, and such a heavy environment. Really mm. weird. Yeah. It must have been horrible to be part of. But even even before I realized what it was, I just remember hearing those lyrics and thinking, Jesus Christ, like Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. And it's so different now thinking, you know, as I just said, I won't, I won't repeat myself, but Jagger is the metaphorical Satan because although he's only doing his job, he's breaking down that final piece of what America was. It's now gone. Yeah. You know, the America that Don yeah. McLean love, loved has now gone the day the music died, which is just crazy. But anyway, on to the final verse. Um, this is where the song comes down and now it's just him, his vocals and his piano again. And he's back in the seventies. We're back in 1970 now. And he says, I met a girl who sang the blues and I asked her for some happy news, but she just smiled and turned away. And this I found really interesting. It's kind of like representative of the failure of the hippie movement that began in the mid sixties. So many people tried to protest and bring about change. And ultimately it didn't lead anywhere. The government won most times. We have we have special occasions like Martin Luther King demanding, you know, sharing with us his dream. We have the protests about Vietnam that obviously were 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 brilliant in 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 essence and attitude, but didn't lead to anything. Yeah. And this is signified with the, 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 the supposedly the girl who sang the blues is Janis Joplin. Yeah, I knew about and that. Yeah, you've also got Hendrix, Morrison, and Joplin dying in the same year, or right at the start of the seventies. Um, which so, is- and it's funny because he's expecting happy news, but she yeah. died as well. Yeah, so. exactly. Literally, um, I went down to the sacred store where I'd heard the music years before, but the man there said the music wouldn't play. Now, the sacred store could literally be a record store because that's what I thought. <laughs> In the 50s, they'd let you play the music in the booths so you can go and take a vinyl, play and have a listen to it. But they didn't do that when 1970s came around. It could, more cynically, it could be that music has not been about love and happiness and simplicity of life for some time. Throughout the whole of the 60s, it became more politicised, more angry, more violent, more political. So it's not it's not sacred anymore. It's not like you buy an album, you know, you're just going to have fun listening to it. No, it's, it's going to be, it's gonna be yeah, to. deeper than that yeah so the, but the music wouldn't play because there's no more happy music anymore it's just about the politics yeah. it's crazy man such good lyrics Interesting. um now uh and in the streets the children screamed the lovers cried and the poets dreamed but not a word was spoken the church bells all were broken the old religion culture of america was dead and the church bells were broken no one spoke anymore no, not not to each other, but you know what I mean. Like the the old barriers of what America once was at the end of the fifties has now descended into something completely different. That's something I find interesting about this point here is, which is um, the children screamed, the, the lovers cried, and the poets dreamed. Mm. Well, isn't that what they usually do? So, in that sense, yeah. Regardless of all the radical changes that you see, you know, in front of you. There's still a hint of old. The, yeah, but what well, the essence of what humans are yeah, doesn't necessarily change, you know. Brilliant, man. Po- That's great. Poets, yeah. poets are going to dream. Children are going to scream, and, and the lovers are going to cry. Yeah, that's brilliant. And, and it's great. regardless, awesome. it's like it's like your life as 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 a human 
and your personal emotions are not necessarily connected to the world outside. That's yeah. how I see that verse. Brilliant. And to finish off the final um, lines of the verse, the three men I admire the most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, they caught the last train for the coast the day the music died. Now, there's some debate as to who the got option one, which is Richie Valens, Buddy Holly, and Big Bopper. That would seem yeah. obvious because um, obviously this what the the those three men are what the crux of the song is about. More politically, more cynically, could be JFK, Martin Luther King, and Robert Kennedy, three men who represented the strength and courage of America, who were all shot, uh, who were all assassinated and killed. Um, so the, the the loss and decline of America values brought down with their deaths, gone to the coast. And then the third one is um, the three remaining band members from Buddy Holly's original band called The Crickets, who oh, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if they did retire, but, you know, what made them good? And then this isn't an offense to them, but what made them good was Buddy Holly because they were The Crickets. And now they caught the last train to the coast because that's the you know the day the music died was supposedly the day the crickets died. I'll, I'll so, give you yeah. a more literal interpretation of that, maybe. Um, I tell you what, can I read a quote? Because I think yeah. what you're going to say might be. So this is the quote, and this is Go taken on. straight from the article I read. And I thought this was just a fantastic way. And this is the last paragraph of the whole of this guy's um, twenty-page summary of uh, American Pie. So. Talking about the three men, these religious figures hold an even greater symbolic importance. In the wake of this decade's disillusioning cynicism and fragmentation, the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost represent a faith in America that had once permeated American life and that hope against hope might still redeem the disorder that had befallen America. But the Holy Trinity, finding no sympathetic hearing and resigning themselves to the inevitable, pack up their bags and retire to the coast. The believers had lost faith in their gods, and the gods can only retreat. Interesting. Yeah. How fantastic. Like what a paragraph. <laughs> so he's literally saying, you know, America has suffered so much, and so many people's faith has been questioned. Imagine, man, imagine what goes on through your mind when you see your president assassinated. Imagine when you see riots in the streets. Imagine when you see students shot by the military. Imagine when you see your, your, your people you know going over to Vietnam being killed for a war that didn't need to happen. You, you, you How much has actually changed? Faith. Well, exactly. How much has actually changed? But, but you know, was, so, that, it was the 60s not the first time we saw yeah, changes yeah. in America? Well, and to or, just or, think and question that... People are questioning their faith and the gods are saying, well, we're so sorry, but there's nothing we can do. If you've lost faith enough, uh, sorry, if you've lost faith in us, we're going to get, we're going to pack our bags and go to the coast on the last. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think uh, it, that's that feeling of, um, you know, you're praying and you're expecting a miracle and you're expecting uh, God to deliver the changes you need and it might not happen. So is, is, I, to me, that means that he felt betrayed, yeah, by his own faith. You know, so I, I wanted things to to go uh, to get better, and I expected uh, um, some divine intervention, but never happened. Mm. So it's almost like God packed up and like and just like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm does, leaving. Does, does that align <laughs> with what you were going to say? Yeah, said, exactly. That's, yeah. that's exactly what I said. Because there's a, um, he does you use a lot of uh, religious elements and and in the song and in the album, which we're going to talk about next week. But um, 
in one of his interviews, he's, he's talking about the fact that God gives and takes away. Mm. So he says that he is he's literally uh, 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 using the religious meaning of those words. Yeah. And and he says a phrase that's really, really nice that always says in the interview, uh, no matter how much you have, you're going to lose it. And he's talking about death. Yeah. Because you might think you're not going to lose anything. Well, the day you die, you lose everything. Yeah. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, the Lord gives and takes away. He's basically saying, you know, you're going to achieve things in life. You know, you might be successful. You might have loads of money. You might have loads of people around you. But you will lose it all. And the song is uh, essentially about loss. And I think this kind of end of, uh, it's, it's the end, isn't it, pretty much? I mean, and uh, uh, when he's talking about the uh, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost like, just leaving, that's the ultimate loss. You don't you don't have anything. You don't have anyone. You don't have your faith anymore. That's it. Yeah. That's the end. And I think, uh, uh, but I believe that the, the part I just mentioned about poets still dreaming, you know, which means like, yeah, some things don't change. So this song for me, it's it's kind of it's so emotional and deep because it. It takes you on a journey that makes you feel happy and sad and alternate those feelings throughout the whole song and the instruments yeah. and the tempo changes and the starts and stops. They really enhance that feeling throughout the song. And I, I, I every time I listen to it, I'm like, I feel like I'm in a, in a emotional holocaust. Like it's, it's, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. It's ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. And it's, it's absolutely amazing. The song really is it's it is it's an absolute masterpiece I, like i said at the start with glass unleashed one of the greatest songs ever written i think um and an iconic song everyone knows it like i said whether you're whether you're with me six years old in a car because you heard because you heard it on the radio just singing it along because it's catchy or whether this song has shaped your adulthood because imagine there must be someone who was 18 years old when this song came out and thought yeah. Look at how the world of America has changed in when I went from being eight years old to 18. And it must, yeah, it must and how, mean so much for so many different people. And, and, and probably this song can make anyone think about uh, a kind of important moment in their lives, uh, one important loss. Yeah. And it's interesting that he, he, he could be talking about anything else, but the fact that he chooses one of his idols... Isn't it so um, authentic? Because you could, you could, you could have done a general thing and written about if you have your father who died or a lover who left you, but he's gone for something so personal that how do we know it's so personal? How do we know it's Buddy Holly? Because the evidence is there in the lyrics and on the album sleeve, he's written dedicated to Buddy Holly. But I mean, you know, just 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 to repeat myself, think how many artists you have who emotionally and correctly and still do it justice write about a dead relative a dead parent uh, a wife or a partner they've broken up with the loss of a child something that's obvious but how many times obviously does someone write about their musical hero who died and wrote a song so intensely about that obviously factoring in things like you know the decline of american ideals and american culture over that 10 year period but it's just such an authentic song you can tell he's singing it 100% from the heart and when it he seems to me like yeah it seems to me like he didn't want to leave anything out of the song yeah 
That's why it's eight like, and a half minutes long. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he made a point. I, I'm not quite sure if he's said those words exactly, but I think he said something about he had loads of ideas for the song and he didn't want to like uh, limit the song to a certain length. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, if you want if one this should be a single, it can't be more than five minutes, whatever. Yeah. It was just like uh, writing, 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 having idea after idea, and he kept adding them onto the song and. Isn't that what rock and roll is all about? You you okay. do whatever you want to do. If you yeah. want to have like another verse, another you know instrumental section, another tempo change, add why it. not? Add it on exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh man, what a song! I mean, I told what you at the start how much I love this song. Do you love it? Do you like it a lot? Do you, I, do you it's just okay, or what you I no no I I I agree with you. It's one of the most uh, important songs ever written, even yeah. though. Uh, some people might not think is one of the best songs ever written. I think it is one of the best. Uh, is also uh, uh, it has all the elements of American folk music and yeah, rock and well. roll. Yeah, and there's history, culture, uh, love, loss, pain, happiness. Yeah, it's it's all those feelings, one after another, nonstop until yeah. the end of the song. I think it's absolutely Jeez. brilliant. I can't. I don't think. Uh, yeah. I can't get this smile off no. your face. It's just such a good oh. song. <laughs> okay, just just uh, anyway, uh, let's... Uh, before before we finish, I just want to uh, say to everyone who is listening, I imagine most people listening to this are familiar with Madonna's version of this song, and last never heard it. You've never listened to that version, have you? I'll go and listen to it now, but no, I never have because why would I? Why would I do that when the original's <laughs> there for me? Seriously though, is it, is it a good cover? Is it okay? Now you tell me okay. when we do the second part of the I'll show, we're going to start from this. Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> well, so when we come back and do the next one, we'll start with Madonna's one. But um, anyway, right, let's wrap it up here. I, bro, I never thought we'd do a whole episode about one song, but I, it kind of it's perfect that this is the song, isn't it? Because it is worth doing an hour on. Um, but anyway, guys, thank you for joining us for this special one-off Long Live Rock and Roll podcast episode because we had just focused on the legendary American Pie by Don McLean. The rest of the album uh, review, including maybe a few more little bits on American Pie, you know, in terms of what, it, what when he was writing it, which part of the album, the process of recording it, etc. And, of course, Madonna's one. Um, The rest of that will be available for the second part of this uh, sort of two-part American Pie episode uh, in two weeks' time. So look forward to seeing you and joining us then. So keep on rocking, everyone. And as usual, take care and long live rock.